Welcome to Art for All, sponsored by Sketchbook School. As a thank you for joining us, I'd like to give you a free ebook and our monthly newsletter full of tips, recommendations, and other cool stuff. Just head over to sketchbookschool.com to claim your freebies and to learn more about our classes and workshops and our membership program. We believe that art is for everyone, and I hope our podcast inspires you to create and explore your own artistic journey. Thanks for listening. On with the show. Normally, I get so excited if I see a track or some animal scat, and that's how I'm going to study mammals. But in this case, they're all there right in front of you. Yep, there's a lion on the carcass doing lion things, and it was crazy mammal watching. Welcome to Art for All, the Sketchbook School podcast. I'm your host, Danny Gregory. I'm the author of a dozen or so books on art and creativity, and I'm a sketchbook artist. I'm also the founder of Sketchbook School. This is the beginning of the fourth season of Art for All. And because I bore easily, we're switching our format again. This season is devoted to great conversations with great people. In each episode, I invite a friend to talk about things that matter to us. It's the sort of unhurried conversation that we don't get enough of these days, and I hope you'll enjoy it with us. We're going to start the season where we left off last season with my great friend, John Muir Laws. Jack is a naturalist and an artist and a major figure in the world of nature journaling, and he teaches at Sketchbook School. He's also one of my most interesting friends. Season three of this podcast was an extended conversation between Jack and me, and I loved it. And then he took off for some world travel, and I caught up with him soon after his return to his studio in California. So we haven't talked in a while. How? how I've missed you, actually. I, I've looked forward to these, and yeah. i kind of been going through a, a, a Danny withdrawal. I really look forward to, to, to catching up with you again. Yeah, me too. Me too. So... It seems like you had a, a more adventurous summer than I did. It was. It was a. It was a, a. A really interesting summer on all sorts of different levels. I went to. A, 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 or it, it started off the day after school ended. I went with my wife and thing one and two, my my two little daughters to Kenya. My wife was working at a hospital there and look, working on their seeing patients and working on their infectious disease protocols and antibiotic stewardship. Um, and that meant that I was hanging out most of the day with my daughters and we, we, we'd wake up in the morning, get ourselves some breakfast. We would practice musical instruments. We did an art class each day. We spent time climbing trees and catching chameleons. We took Swahili classes every day and mm. just had a, a, a wonderful time. And then in the afternoon, my wife would return. We'd go for family walks. And it was, there was just a lot of kind of concentrated time together that we all got to know each other on, on a much higher level. Nobody was really on their device. And... It was, it was beautiful. And then on the weekends, we'd get to go to national parks and, and, and run around and, or drive around because if you run around, you get eaten by a lion or a hyena or stepped on by a rhinoceros and, you know, just on the lookout for all these wonderful, amazing animals. And I, it's so much fun to draw megafauna. 
So where were you staying? Were you staying in a hotel? We were staying in Eldoret, the town of Eldoret, which is over near the Ugandan side. And we were in a little community there of other doctors who are in a, in a program there together. And so we would have communal meals outside because of the pandemic. And then we would had our own little rooms in that area. There are other kids to play with. And it was, it was beautiful. It was just a, it was, it was the, the, every each person in the family kind of got very different things out of it and kind of came out of it. <laughs> this is, I mean, just such a fulfilling summer. But for me, I think the best thing was, I mean, even though, can I tell you how much fun it is to draw a cooperative rhinoceros? Just having that so much real time together, you know, and with with the the, the family was it was beautiful, amazing. So so you would draw, as you say, mega. F- Megafauna. So, so, yeah, the big critters. So there's, you know, there's giraffe and there's a lion napping next to your car and there's a crocodile over there by the creek and there's rhinoceros and hippos and, you know, uh, there are, there's a hundred zebras running over there. And it was, I'm used to North American wildlife populations and visibility where there are some deer, but they're hiding from you. And there's some other small mammals and they're all underground and the fox will come out at night. But here, everybody's out and running around and you can, normally I get so excited if I see a track or some animal scat and that's how I'm going to study mammals. But in this case, they're all there right in front of you. Yep. There's a lion on the carcass doing lion things. And then you spend some time poking around the area and you get to the point where you can now tell the different lionesses apart from each other by the physical characteristics and the shapes of their faces. It was crazy mammal watching and don't get me started about the birds. Oh yes. They do birds. (laughs) It was just, you're, you're in the middle of this big puddle of biodiversity. So I would each, each day I'd figure out on that weekend, what critters are we going to see? And then do a course with the girls about, all right, let's, how do we, how do we journal about flamingos and what are cool things about flamingos? And so I do the flamingo drawing class. And then the next class would be zebras. And then the next class, would there weren't elephants where we were, but we had everything but the elephant. So your kids have obviously grown up with you doing this, you constantly drawing stuff and they presumably have, are into it as well. What is it like if you have, because what, what are the ages of your girls? So we have nine and, and 10. So, so nine and 10 year old. So, but they're perfectly willing. They're not, they don't get fidgety. They're perfectly willing to come and sit with you and draw for as long as you're drawing. I could go longer, but when there is a baby rhinoceros outside your door, mm-hmm. it can keep their focus. <laughs> Right. Uh, when we get into the birds, I'm like, oh, look, way over in that tree, there's a, there's a spectacled mouse bird. Oh, how exciting. They're like, that's great. But daddy, there's a baby rhinoceros. Right. So baby rhinoceros is everybody. They, they just, they just keep and hold your attention. They're just, it's, it's a delight. 
And you were in a car all the time that you were driving? Yeah, you, yeah, you, you go in a, in a <clears throat> sort of a Jeep with an open windows and an open top. So the lion, if it figured out that there's a lunchbox over there, could easily jump inside the car and eat everybody. But I don't know why they've never figured this out. I hope they don't listen to this podcast. I know. There's, there's a movie, actually, we were talking about going to see it this weekend about that very thing. Oh, it's really? Beast. Yeah. It's about a family getting attacked by a lion. Oh safari. man, that's going to that's that's not going to be good for the safari industry. I'm not going to show that one to my kids. But uh, generally speaking, this is this is really safe. Hollywood aside, maybe that was based on a true story. But if it is based on a true story, it is a really anomalous situation because the the, the lions just ignore all these. If you, you can drive up next to them, and they're like, "Okay, you're not a." gazelle are you but i'm just gonna nap here or sometimes they might even go walk over and lay down in the shade of your vehicle if it's a really hot day so what did you learn about animals you know you've been drawing animals your whole life and you know so much about them but what did you learn because obviously these are less familiar animals right that that was what was really yeah that was was really fun about it is that these are and the the birds are all species that i'm i really don't know and so they would pop up and it would be this, I'm, there's this blank slate. I don't have these preconceived notions of what this bird should look like. And I just, I, I had to, if I'm drawing a scrub jay, I can draw a scrub jay out of my imagination. And then the challenge is that I really need to ma- force myself to look at this scrub jay that's in front of me to make sure that I'm, when I'm putting down on the paper, is that scrub jay? And it's not my imaginary scrub jay, but there everybody you know sort of had something to say <laughs> and and it was it was new so it was i was immersed in this very novel situation but they're in such abundance that you're you're looking at one lioness and you think you kind of get the sense of what a lioness looks like and then you look over at the other one and then you realize that they actually have different expressions different shaped noses different shaped sloped foreheads, just like human beings. There's so much individual variation. Like the the patterns of stripes on a zebra, I would start drawing a zebra and then my zebra walks away. So I'm just going to bounce over to this one that's right next to it and keep on drawing the same drawing. And then I'd look at it and go like, oh my gosh, you have a totally different stripe pattern, don't you? It's so they're unique, right? They're like, they're like fingerprints. They're, they're, they're just like fingerprints. And it makes you realize that Every, it's not that there's a lion out there. It's not that there's a, it, it's this lion. Right. And the, the same is true for every species, even the ones that are familiar to us, is that, you know, if there's a book that shows how to draw a lion, it misses the point because there is no a lion out there. If that's like how to draw a human face. If you say, like, draw this line, this line, this line, this line, this line, and now you have the human face. But it doesn't look anything like Sally or Tim, right? And, and every lion out there is a Sally or Tim. But you do have strategies for drawing, like drawing yes. words, right? You have strategies for how you do it. Did, were you able to use your regular drawing strategies, or did you have to come up with new ones, or was it just a different? I, I, I was I was able to I, uh, th- those those basic drawing strategies of like how do I approach drawing a quadruped or or a, a bird. Those, I got to use those a lot. And then I found myself, because I was doing so much drawing over the summer, that my 
drawing technique for doing those changed and I think improved during the course. So I, I kind of tweak my, my approach to drawing these, these things and found that I was getting sketches that, that worked, that worked better. They could kind of catch the nuances of gestures and behaviors more accurately than I was doing before. Get those, those, those shapes down. So a lot of the, the basics all worked for me, but then I was able to refine and modify those. I find in general travel, I mean, we've talked about this before, but when you draw, when you're traveling, it just, it refreshes your eyes in so many ways. I mean, it just makes oh. everything easier or different. And then you come home and you're just changed. But I imagine this is even more intense. I have to, your eyes, drawing refreshes your eyes. I'm going to write down this, this, this quote. It's, I, trademark. I, I, it's a trademark thing. I've, I have T-shirts to say. Ah, uh, Danny, I like it. I'll, I'll get the shirt. No, I think that's sponsored by Visine now. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, just a few little drops of ink in in either eye, and it'll just clear that redness right up. <laughs> so anyway, so yes, were your eyes refreshed? I mean, yes. I I I I, I think so. It's you know this, this well this this whole idea of not having a formula lion that you're drawing. You know, if you're if you're out there and you're seeing nuances in the in the shapes of wilde horns, mm -hmm. then you're you're not going with the formula. You're you're looking at that wildebeest over there and that wildebeest over there, and you're just sort of seeing a whole another level of diversity in front of you. I I, I love that quote and. I'm, I'm sure that for people who also focus on, you know, just I'm going to sit on a street corner and I'm going to draw the view down this boulevard. It becomes, you know, it's, it's not just a street. Right. It is, you know, this place that is as different from every other spot of the, on the earth as that zebra is from that zebra over there. Right. Exactly. But I think so, if, if you, if you don't have your journal, then I think what we tend to do is we just tend to sit there and kind of go, it's a street. Oh, this place is cool. So how long were you there altogether? I think we were there, oh, maybe it was about six weeks. Wow. And, and then, yeah, it was a really nice chunk of time. And then we had, we, we, we turned around. I had to get back to the States long enough to put myself in quarantine for a little while because I needed to make sure I did not have COVID because I then hopped on another plane and flew down to Ecuador to lead a trip to the Galapagos and the Ecuadorian rainforest. And I think that the most dangerous thing is kind of being in the airports. Right? Airports are a great place to pick up COVID. And so I just wanted to make sure that I was not, I, I gave myself en enough time for any COVID that I would have to emerge and got myself the PCR test, got my negative result and flew down to Ecuador, spent the next, well, the plan was to spend the next two weeks exploring the Galapagos and the cloud forest with a group of people. Did that work out for you? It was different than I expected on at, at, at the start. You know, everybody in our group was, we were all masked and we were taking our, our full precautions because you know, you don't want to go all that way just to get sick. And my second day there, <coughs> I <coughs> started to, <coughs> 
I don't get a dry cough. I thought, that's not right. And went into my room and tested myself, tested my temperature, seemed to be okay. And that afternoon <coughs> was a little bit more of a dry cough. Went back that evening, or actually, I guess the next morning was did another COVID test and discovered that probably in the airport or on the airplane on the way there, I had contracted COVID on my own trip. And... Oh, drag. Talk about, you know, it is a sort of felt like, you know, Moses not being able to go down into the promised land there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm now sitting in the hold of our boat. <laughs> you're, on a, you're on a boat going from island to island. And sometimes I had a, a window. Sometimes that window would point out and I could see an island or a bird fly by. And, uh, but... But I knew that, you know, sometimes you would turn and you could see this line. You'd know that, like, all along that shore, there's just marine iguanas and all this crazy stuff going on. Ooh. A, a, a blue-footed booby would fly past your door, and you knew that they were breeding on that island. And you're like, I want to go sketch those because they have no fear of people. And so if you're up on the land, you would, you'd be walking just meters away from them, and they'd be like, oh, hi, I'm over here. Don't mind me. And, but I stayed in the hold of the boat until we hit an island that had a hospital in it, got out, checked myself into a hotel, and stayed there until my quarantine was over. Uh, I had one window that looked out on a palm tree. It was different than I expected. Wow. So you were in this random Ecuadorian hotel for how long? For, you, you wanted, you, you want to isolate for five days right. and then you can go out masked, but you can't travel for another five days. And so that mean, meant that I couldn't join the group. With, with, once they finished their Galapagos tour, they then went over to the mainland and went into the, the cloud forest, but I couldn't fly back and join them because I'm still now, I can't, I have to wait until the 10th, the the 11th day, actually, because the first day that you're sick is day, not day one, that's day zero. And so at the start, I was scared, frustrated, worried, really, really anxious. Fortunately, I was lucky. I've had the vaccines and boosters. I did not have serious disease. Thank you, science, <laughs> right? But then my mind sort of shifted over to, I just felt so grateful for having this window and realized that, you know, I can look out and I can see beautiful water and there is a booby that flies by every once in a while. And isn't that wonderful? And I can breathe. Other people, they weren't so lucky. I can breathe. And 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 then when I finally came out of the the isolation, having had the scare, and and some you know, kind of rough days, but again nowhere near what other people have have experienced. I just I, I I felt this incredible cloud of gratitude, and I felt like the everywhere I went, everything was just a little bit brighter. And, and, and more special. 
like if if I ate an empanada, it was it was this I could smell the empanada, and other people they lost their smell, and oh, and there's 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 a I was I couldn't travel, but I'm on an island. I'm on Santa Cruz Island in the Galapagos. And there are giant tortoises there, and there are marine iguanas there, and there are blue-footed boobies there. So I, you know, just had to go geek out with all these amazing Galapagos critters for the next five days. And so, what- so, so you're in the hotel in isolation for five days, and then you, then you get out and you can wander around by yourself. And so you could, you could do some. That's right. Some so for the final five, the final five, you can't travel, but. You can, you can leave your hotel room. You don't want to go into places where there are crowds and you want to keep your mask on all the time, which I, I did. I, I was, I was very, very careful with, I did not want to let this disease pass on to anybody else, right. and, but I could now roam around and within, within walking distance were all of these incredible wonders. And that was, that was, that was beautiful. I sort of went into mangrove groves and, and geeked out on the shape of the pods of mangroves. There's so much sort of deep geeking out that you can do in a place like that. Well, any place, but this was the Galapagos. That was amazing. So, yeah. So, so it wasn't a wash. It sounds like it was uh, kind of a transcendent experience and unexpected. It, it was. And, and I, and at first I was, I was really I was having a big pity party, <laughs> a big pity party for myself. And then, and that, and actually I, I kind of, in my journal, I had, I, I wrote this sort of column of how am I feeling? And it was, and you, you, you look at it that the day that I wrote that it was, it was, it was fear. It was frustration. It was, I've got all this anxiety about all these sorts of things. And following day, the next, I wrote a list of how I was feeling and it is, you know, I'm, it, it, that, that's where it started. You know, I'm so grateful for this this window. I'm so grateful for being able to to breathe, and that 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 it, it was it was a gift of that kind of insight that perhaps came from having a mild case of 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 COVID. Do you think Do you think journaling in general helps you to be Appreciative. I mean, I'm, that's sort of a an, an easy question in some ways, but can you delve into that a bit? Like, oh, and I, I want to hear. I've, I've been kind of monologuing on on this one, but and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as 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 well. But I'll give you my quick take. Is yeah, yeah, please do. It's absolutely, absolutely yes. So the the journal brings me into being present. With it, it forces you to be here. It forces you to be now. You can't be thinking about anything else. You are right wherever you are in front of that tortoise, listening to its exhalations, or you are, or or you're next to the empanada, and and you're you're there. It it helps you just be present, and all the gifts of your senses then get compiled onto that page alongside each other. And you can look down and just, you realize you're just in such a, a rich, rich moment. And what about when you came home, you're back in your house with your family and everything is kind of the same again. Were you changed by both of those experiences, Africa and uh, the Galapagos? Um, 
And the, the scientist in me says, I don't have a control group to compare that with. But if I use the previous state before we left as the control group, there is, there's a, there's a new level of just sort of sweetness and unity around the family. We still sometimes bug each other, but you know, we, it's, it's, I think it's a little bit more playful. It's a little bit more, let's find an excuse to go get into some shenanigans together. Uh, just, just this morning, we were, we, we were practicing ukuleles. <laughs> My two daughters and I were, were learning the ukulele and we were playing this, this song called Lava. And so we're playing Lava together and mama came by and they said, we said, Oh, let's play this for you. And then she said like, no, no, let's, let's make this a quartet and got dragged mama over and mama's there singing. And everybody was just, we were cracking up so much that we were snorting while we were playing. And it was just, it was just good. Now, would that have happened? Hadn't we gone there? I don't know. Maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't, but, but there's just this, I think there's an extra level of trust and desire to just thread our lives together that might have come out of that. And again, I don't have the control group to say like, well, I, you know, I, I you know, compare this to the other state. Maybe we still would have been doing lava as a, have a lava quartet, but I know I feel more tightly connected with my wife. I feel more bonded with my children and I know that they actively are seeking out both of us for general hanging out and geeking out. It's, it, it was, it was good. It's amazing what you like when, when you, when you sketch a place, you pay deep attention to that place. You fall in love with that place through the act of attention. And that's what our whole summer was. It was paying attention both to the place we were in, but also to um, paying attention to each other. And I think that that's changed our relationship. And well, tell yeah. me about your and, thoughts about it. Well, I was going to say enjoy it while it lasts because you've got about two years left <laughs> before those that's girls right. turn into tweens and then you're, then you're done. We'll, 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 we'll see. We'll see. For 10 years. <laughs> I mean, if not, otherwise, I mean, they may remain in the state, but I think that might actually be a problem. They're supposed to become, they're supposed to start rejecting you in a couple of years, so. Yes, that's going to be rough. That's, that's going to be rough. But I'll, really I'll, I'll take this for now. We had we had so much fun playing lava together. They'll have this when, memory. I mean, these are great memories that they'll have forever. That's right. And and then if you if you journal about those experiences, then your brain is able to keep them much better. So we we have a little sketchbook that's sort of a family sketchbook of whenever a shenanigan happens, then somebody will grab it and do a little doodle of the family doing whatever it is. I think the most recent entry was that we the girls were cutting up apples and they started sculpting the cut apples into the shape of an axolotl, which is a, a, a it's a, a salamander that sort of keeps its larval state and has these weird gills out behind its head. So they made apple and so we, they drew, they made Apolotl and then they sketched Apolotl into this little journal. But because they sketched it into the journal, they're going to remember this joke about making Apolotl in a way that's totally different than if they, than if they had just made Apolotl and then eaten it and sort of moved on to the next thing. The journaling helps you remember these things. Absolutely. So I, I want to hear about your experience with gratitude 
and journaling. I haven't been journaling that much recently. I haven't been doing visual journaling. I've been, you know, I, I write a short journal every night before I go to bed, just about what happened that day. But I know that there have certainly been many times in my life that that has been a crucial practice, that it's, that it's a way of finding beauty, finding meaning in, you know, the everyday. That's absolutely an important practice. It's, it's more challenging when you're in your same house, you know, surrounded by your same stuff. And you have to go back and look at it again and again and again to extract meaning from it. But it's there. It's always there. And I think this, uh, this notion of being present in the moment is something we need help with because we live in a virtual world most of the time. And we're always, you know, somewhere else reading an email or somewhere else watching a video and, you know, missing out on what is happening to us right now or recording a podcast for that matter. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, that, that's always been, I mean, for 20 years, that's been a longer, actually, it's been a, a, an essential practice for me. I think with nature journaling, it's kind of interesting because in some ways nature journaling has a sort of practical scientific function, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're recording external things. For me, it was always about in finding personal significance in my, in my recording. So I'm drawing, you know, a cup, a shoe, dog, whatever it is, because of its meaning to me, which is not what you do. That's true. Although it's interesting in this journal, this, my current journal has more sort of personal, maybe that's, you're rubbing off on me, has more kind of personal insights and thoughts about my feelings. And then, then I've put in, I think any of my other journals. So that part of things I'm now sort of letting come into my practice. Actually, the, my daughter, Amelia was the person who's responsible for, for kind of initiating that. She asked that when I went to, we, we brought this, <laughs> a puppet, a, a, a harbor seal puppet named Morp with us to Africa. And so everywhere we go, sort of Morp would make commentaries on these adventures and things. And then Morp became an icon in my journal where Morp would make personal reflections about whatever we were seeing or sometimes humorous commentary. But the sort of the, the view of Morp was a way of inserting also more, more thoughts about this experience. And then she asked me to bring Morp with me to Ecuador. So Morp joined me. Unfortunately, Morp also caught COVID. So the two of us sat there kind of working through that time and the, oh, oh, by the way, just so everyone knows, no one else in that group caught COVID, which, you know, we, we, we caught it early and, but that could have been, you know, a, a super spreader boat, but it wasn't, mm. but, but more now I, I draw this little Harbor seal kind of leaning in from one of the sides of my paper with a, either a thought balloon or an, or a speech with some commentary about these sorts of things. And that actually has allowed me, maybe it's just, it it shows that I'm somehow disassociated from myself that I can only really express myself through, through this, through a drawing of a puppet Harbor Harbor seal, but it's working for me. It worked for Mr. Rogers. So yeah, (laughs) that's right. Now, what about the original Galapagos nature journaler, Charles Darwin, 
Voyage of the Beagle, right? Yep. Now, he drew in his journals, didn't he? Yes, he did. And, and yes. diagrams and, 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 and he, he was a, he was a solid illustrator. I've looked at a bunch of his illustrations of barnacles. He became a master, master barnacle dissector, observer, studier and, and has some finch beaks. Yeah, well, the, the finch beaks is a really kind of interesting, interesting thing because when he was at the Galapagos Islands, everybody thinks that, you know, Darwin rolled up there, kind of looked at these finch beaks and went, oh, my gosh, there's something eureka. going on. A eureka. It has this eureka moment, but doesn't. But doesn't. He's, he's there on the islands and with, with, the, with the finches. And he's, as a good scientist, kind of collecting finches. But he's like, ah, I've seen this one before. And, and, and it actually wasn't even being super careful about tagging them with a, a little label to say which island he got on. So he really wasn't seeing the pattern when he was there. It was only when he got back to the to, to England and and sat down with some other some, some people who kind of went through his specimens that he was realizing like, oh my gosh, these are. These are all basically the same form with these different variations, and some of these are specific to the islands. And there's no mention of the finches in the origin of species. Oh, really? But the beagle was before it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So, yeah, the, oh, he's there on the beagle, and and that's where he has the experience. Then comes home, and over the next over years and years writes this 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 work but doesn't use in the origin of species doesn't use the finches as an example oh, really? it was only sort of later that he kind of put two and two together on those finches and went oh hold the phone these these so here's so a radical the, theory what if what if he had been drawing been uh, drawing those finches i bet you he would have noticed much more easily and quickly the differences in their shapes of their beaks I, I venture to, I would hazard a guess that, that that's absolutely right. Yeah, um, that's, that's I think you should publish a paper on that. You know, had, 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 had Darwin sketched. Yeah, that, because yeah, it, it allows you in the moment to not just collect data, but your brain is also processing it. Exactly. Cause he would have noticed, he would have said, I've drawn a bunch of these finches and I've seemed to be having a different experience drawing each beak because they're somehow different. That's right. What's going on with that? They would have had things to compare them with. So, yeah. Yeah, that is, it's, it's, it's fun to also to see how he was working his thoughts out on paper in the Darwin, in his journals, there's this one little diagram of the branching bush shape. And next to it, he has written, I think, dot, dot, dot. And, you know, you can see he's, he's working the idea out visually on his paper. This idea, this, this concept has occurred to him. And it's, it's occurred to him in the form of a picture. And he's just jotting this thing down on his paper. What, what a moment. I love talking to Jack, and I hope you enjoyed it, too. If you'd like to learn more about his work, visit johnmuirlaws.com. I'll add his website in the show notes and in the description on YouTube. 
Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time with more Art for All. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. And remember, visit sketchbookschool.com and claim your free ebook and your monthly newsletter. Our community is always growing, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Art for All.